Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. You said, quote, I don't support fracking at all. I don't, I don't, I, I do support fracking. Kathy Hochul has been failing every step of the way. Lee Zeldin once said that New York is dying. The pandemic is over. This is a global health emergency. Get vaccinated. Russia would be making a serious mistake for to use a tactical nuclear weapon. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome in, News and Views for a Wednesday. Got a good program lined up for you. We're going to be talking to uh, Fred Lucas from the Heritage Foundation. Interesting subject. Carolina Journal is reporting uh, more information coming out on that new Civitas poll uh, particularly, they took a look at uh, the congressional race, the the new district, North Carolina 13, between Bo Hines and uh, Wiley Nickel, literally neck and neck. Their, uh, Hines has 43%, Nickel has 44%. So uh, that one is one of the few that uh, we probably will have to wait to count the votes to figure out which way that one is going to go. Uh, It was debate night last night, and it was rather interesting. Charlie Crist and uh, DeSantis debated. DeSantis got the better of the two. There was a debate for the New York governor's race, Kathy Hochul and uh, Lee Zeldin. The most interesting debate, you just heard the uh, clip that um, Clark put together for the opening there between... uh, Uncle Fester Fetterman's uh, claims. It it was, I'll I'll say this. Whoever decided that it was a good idea that Uncle Fester Fetterman debate is now looking for a job. (laughs) There's no way that guy is still on the campaign team. The, uh, it was full of errors. It was embarrassing. Interestingly, there's an organization, uh, organization out there that actually puts together odds for who's going to win. You can actually go and bet. I guess you can bet on anything, but if you want to go to uh, Las Vegas and bet on who's going to win a certain race, you can. The organization called Predict It. They're the ones that put together the odds. Uh, Well, I'm sure there's more than just one, but they're one of them. Betting odds shifted 20 points in favor of Mehmet Oz after the debates. The the debate between uh, Fetterman, Dr. (laughs) Uncle Fester Fetterman, and uh, Republican Dr. Mehmet Oz on Tuesday night shifted the betting odds 20 points in favor of Oz. Before the debate started, Oz was favored to win the presidential Senate seat. 53 cents. You'd you'd make 53 cents on the dollar. Um, That is now up to, um, it was 11 point swing. So he's up to 64 cents. Fetterman, Uncle Fester Fetterman is down nine cents. So it was a 20 point swing. The betting markets mirrored NBC's Pittsburgh affiliate WPXI. They are asked in their polling who won the Senate debate. 82% said Oz, just 18% said Fetterman won. 
Of course, Election Day is um, November 8th, 13 days from today. Uh, It was rather interesting. The debate hosts are now coming back and uh, returning fire to the Fetterman campaign because Fetterman's campaign claimed that the closed captions were filled with errors. That's why he had a hard time. Yeah. Now, Fetterman's campaign, I mean, they came out, oh, he did great. It was, oh, we were just so happy with what he did. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Declaring they were thrilled with Uncle Fester Fetterman's performance, the campaign said their candidate did remarkably well, especially when you consider that he's still recovering from a stroke and was working off of delayed captions filled with errors. To be clear, the captioning system that Uncle Fester campaign complained about and sought to blame for the issues that were in full display last night, was demanded by Fetterman as a condition to the final debate with Oz. What's more, Uncle Fester demanded practice debate sessions to get used to the system before the cameras were turned on, but apparently that still wasn't enough for Fetterman to be prepared to square off against Oz. Now the debate host, Nexstar Media Group, is rebuking Fetterman's campaign's blame game in a statement Nexstar's executive vice president and Chief Communication Officer Gary Wetman explained that both candidates agreed to the technical setup before uh, it began for the closed captioning process. Uh, It was implemented at the request of the Fetterman campaign. Both candidates were offered the opportunity for two full rehearsals with the same equipment used in the debate. Fetterman chose to only have one rehearsal. The closed captioning process functioned as expected during the rehearsal. And again, during tonight's debate, the statement concludes, we regret that Mr. Fetterman and his campaign feel otherwise. Uncle Fester's decision to blame the equipment and the system he demanded and with which he did not take advantage of the full preparation made available to him is just more spin trying to find a reason that might stick to explain why Fetterman not only failed to answer any questions clearly, but also botched his overall answers. Now, how do you blame this? So he blames his issues on the closed captioning system not working well. How does Uncle Fester blame his opening comments on the error-filled captioning? Cut one. Hi. Good night, everybody. (laughs) That, That was his opening comments. When he went up to the mic, hi, good night, everybody. I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh, but uh, or or fracking. Now he was also asked about his fracking position in 2016 and 2018, and earlier in this campaign, he has come out clearly and was opposed to fracking in Pennsylvania. So they asked him about fracking. That he gave an answer, said, I've always been for fracking. And then as a follow-up question, they said, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. How, how, do you, how do you square the two? In 2018, you said you were clearly against it. Now you're clearly for it. How do you square up the two? Cut two. Mr. Fetterman, you have made two conflicting statements regarding fracking. In a 2018 interview, you said, quote, 
I don't support fracking at all. I never have. But earlier this month, you told an interviewer, quote, I support fracking. I support the energy independence that we should have here in the United States. So, Mr. Fetterman, you're saying tonight that you support fracking, that you've always supported fracking. But there is that 2018 interview that you said, quote, I don't support fracking at all. So how do you square the two? Uh, I, I, I do support fracking, and I don't, I don't, I support fracking, and I stand, and I do support fracking. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Fetterman. On I'm sorry, the, Lisa, but there's not just a statement you read. There are multiple there's pictures uh, of him signing we a have to go. We have to move on. But we I, have I, to get the fundamentals of the truth out we, here. John we, Fetterman we over and over topics. again we took positions against energy. By the way, it was an interesting debate in, in, in terms of the, the give and take, but they really squelched any actual debate. I mean, I, I think they, you ought to let, I mean, you got to control it to a certain extent, but you got to have some give and take if it's really going to be a debate. Now, I understand, okay, it's your turn to respond, it's your turn to respond, but they were giving these 60-second answers and 30-second responses, and then let's go to the next subject, which is not really a debate. I mean, it's answering some questions and then somebody else <laughs> lying about you. <laughs> yeah. School and look how I turned out. <laughs> the Washington examiner, examiner and a number of other media outlets covered the Kathy Hochul-Lee Zeldin debate. You know, it's interesting. Debates always last at least an hour. Sometimes 90 minutes. Sometimes the presidential debates go two hours. Yet it is often a 30-second or less soundbite that the election turns on. And that very well might have happened last night in the Hochul-Zeldin debate. Kathy Hochul appeared upset over Zeldin's focus on crime during the New York gubernatorial debate last night. Zeldin, who is a U.S. congressman, reiterated his belief that there is a crime emergency in the Empire State and pressed Hochul on locking up criminals. That was what he emphasized, locking up criminals. Hochul responded to his desire to lock up criminals with a comment that if I was in Zeldin's campaign, if I was on his team, I would say, we are taking this comment and we are going to make a commercial out of that, and we are going to play it over and over and over again. This comment, which I think she thought was innocuous, very well might hand the election to Lee Zeldin. Cut three. Listen, I, I stated that the first day that I'm in office, I'm going to declare a crime emergency and suspend Castle's bail and these other pro-criminal laws because there is a crime emergency. My opponent thinks that right now there's a polio emergency going on, but there's not a crime emergency. Different priorities that I'm hearing from people right now, they're not being represented from this, this governor, who still, to this moment, we're at, what are we, halfway through the debate? She still hasn't talked about locking up anyone committing any crimes. Okay. Anyone who commits a crime under our laws, especially with the change they made to bail, has consequences. I don't know why that's so important to you. All I know is that we could do more. Anyone who commits a crime under our laws, especially with the change we made to bail. Now, the change they made to bail in New York is no bail. You get arrested, you don't have to put up bail. We'll just let you out. But you have consequences? 
And, and he says, why aren't you locking people up? To which he says, I don't know why that's so important to you. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I, I mean, this ought to be running over and over and over again by the Zeldin campaign between now and Election Day. Then, as all good liberals do, Hochul focused not on locking up the prisoners, but on federal crimes our federal uh, laws against um, against uh, guns. She wants more, more federal gun control laws. If we had that, everything would be fine. The New York gubernatorial race has shifted from likely Democrat at the beginning of the month to toss-up. Again, I, I think these debates last night, I think it sealed it for DeSantis. I think it sealed it for Oz. And I think it certainly is going to significantly help Lee Zeldin beat Kathy Hochul. And just the demeaning, arrogant uh, facial expressions by Hochul, it, uh, granted, I'm biased, I'm conservative, I know, but it made you gag. Hey, we're going to take a time out. Stay with us. When we get back, we have a special interview with Fred Lucas from the Heritage Foundation. You're going to enjoy this. Stay with us. We'll be right back. A collection of question marks. It's a lot of questions. Why? How? No logic, no reason, no explanation. Just a prolonged nightmare. Worst nightmare of their lives. This long nationwide nightmare. We'll start collecting clues as to the whys, the what's, and the where's. Neighborhood by neighborhood. Literally knocking on doors. This is your worst nightmare. The nightmare. It would be a nightmare. Worst nightmare. We will not end the nightmare. We'll only explain it. Explain to us. Because this. This. This is News and Views with Tom and Benny on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. Yesterday I mentioned an article from Fox News that with two weeks to go before the election, the DOJ is fighting a Freedom of Information Act request on a March 2021 executive order by Joe Biden, which the Foundation for Government Accountability has labeled as an unconstitutional taxpayer-funded get-out-the-vote effort designed to benefit the president's political party. Someone who has been following this issue very closely, has written on it extensively, is Fred Lucas. Fred is chief news correspondent and manager of the investigative reporting project for The Daily Signal. He is also the author of the book, The Myth of Voter Suppression, The Left's Assault on Clean Election. And there's a chapter in this book on this Biden executive order. Fred, welcome to News and Views. Good to have you with us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So you also released an article on this executive order and this FOIA request. You mentioned that a court ordered the information to be released by September the 8th. But out of 5,000 pages, the DOJ only released 135 pages, and those were highly redacted. Further, the DOJ argues that if the whole thing has released, it will cause public confusion, which might be true because the average American might see this order and say, am I living in a banana republic? But so here's the question. What is exactly this executive order 14019? What does the Biden administration want the public perception to be of the order, and what is it in reality? Well, what it is in, in reality, I'll start with that because that's more sobering. What it is in reality is that this is something that was written, as I explained in the book, The Myth of Voter Suppression. It was written before Biden took office by a left-wing interest group called Demos. Um, they uh, they put together this uh, 
recommendations of all these uh, things that Biden could be doing uh, with executive power to expand, as they characterize it, expand voting rights. Um, uh, but, but, but it actually uses the force of the federal government uh, to essentially, I think, put the thumb on the scale uh, for Democrats. Right. Uh, it, it, it enlists, uh, puts every single uh, executive branch agency uh, behind voter registration and increasing voter turnout. Uh, and some, one of the more innocuous case, cases, uh, um, HUD is in charge of putting public housing authorities in charge of uh, registering voters at uh, public housing units. But you also have the DOJ is supposed to, of which we've seen some of this, the DOJ is supposed to um, put more uh, and voting information uh, to prisoners who are being released. Now, uh, one kind of wonders if that ties in with the commutations that Biden did recently as well, mm-hmm. right before the election. Um, and also the uh, DHS is supposed to be involved with uh, signing uh, new citizens up at, at naturalization processes. So uh, these, these, these are all like situations where you have government agencies targeting, in some cases at least, what they think might be Democratic constituencies. Uh, oh, you, you think? <laughs> you yeah. think? This, yeah. this is a taxpayer-funded uh, get-out-the-vote effort, uh, and and the, and I think there's probably a good reason the administration doesn't want you to know, and it's not because they're just protecting the public from being confused. Yeah, what, what would be confusing about this? I mean, in all honesty, first of all, the people that want to know are not going to be confused. The people that don't want to know aren't going to care, and they're never going to find out about it anyway because they're, you know, watching their favorite sitcom instead of trying to follow the the political world. But this doesn't sound unlike Zuckerberg and what he did in in with his own money, but yet putting it. Not just get out the vote for everyone, get out the vote for the constituents, the constituents that will vote in the direction that Zuckerberg wanted him to vote, wanted them mm-hmm. to vote. Well, yeah, uh, th- this has been called um, by some people Biden bucks uh, as opposed to Zuckerberg. Hmm. Uh, and 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 there, there's a I mean, there's a reason he's channeling and except that it's not Biden's dollars, it's our dollars, the taxpayers dollars in this case uh, that we are. Uh, behind financing this get out the vote effort, um, state run get out the vote effort, which is unprecedented. It hasn't happened before, and it could um, uh, cause federal employees to commit or uh, break the law. And, and and by that, the law I'm referring to is the Hatch Act. The Hatch Act prohibits federal employees from engaging in partisan political activity. Uh, while on the clock, and, and we've seen this come up with members of the Trump administration and the Obama administration in various cases. Um, but I mean, this could get into lower level people by just complying with this executive order that Biden put forward. And you know, existing statute generally trumps executive order. Have you given, uh, and you'd have to ponder and you'd have to look into your crystal ball, but what do you think is in there? You, you mentioned in your article that there was a um, 15-page strategic plan for ent- implementing this executive right. order that was not released. Any any idea what they're trying to hide in this strategic plan? Uh, I mean, that would just be purely speculation. I mean, my guess is that some of this would involve 
Um, I, I, if, if, if my, some, some of what they're hiding might just let the cat out of the back in terms of uh, whether the strategic plan is uh, just making broad partisan statements. One would think uh, uh, federal bureaucrats might be smarter than to put that in writing, but, uh, I mean, we've seen over the years, oftentimes they're not that smart. What was it? Who was the court? What was the court that, that originally said you've got to release this? Is this just a general FISA uh, court, or is... uh, uh, no, no, no? This, this is a federal district court in Florida. Uh, that, that's where the Foundation for Government Accountability, which brought up the lawsuit, um, is based out of. And and they filed the lawsuit. The um, Justice Department came back uh, claiming um, they didn't have to release it and filed a motion. For this reason, that it could cause public confusion, I think that's just a legal stalling tactic. Um, my guess is they're not going to get away with this, but they'll at least delay it until after the election. Yeah, it's it's interesting how they always repent after it's too late. <laughs> what, yeah, right. But but I mean, if there is a new majority, uh, I'm guessing that uh, and with subpoena power. Uh, come January, I'm, I'm thinking this is something that you will see some congressional committees look into because uh, uh, that congressional subpoenas can move a lot faster than the Freedom of Information Act. Let me let me change the narrative just a little bit because my hunch is you've probably gotten into this, but uh, the, your book, The Myth of Voter Suppression, The Left's Assault on Clean Elections, you know, we have heard this over and over again, and right now in the state of North Carolina, you know, there was a constitutional amendment for a voter ID, uh, photo ID to be presented at, when you go to vote uh, at the polling place. And uh, the North Carolina Supreme Court has basically knocked that down. The uh, the congressional maps, they've knocked that down. Now, the good news is it looks like, according to the newest polling that just came out from Civitas just yesterday, it looks like the two North Carolina Republican Supreme Court candidates are going to prevail in their election. If that happens, there will be a majority of conservatives on our Supreme Court, and a lot of that could be overturned. But the the whole idea of disenfranchisement, uh, talk, to, talk to that whole narrative of the photo ID. I mean, the Supreme Court has, has, has given the thumbs up to it. And this yeah. was before the Supreme Court was uh, controlled by as many conservatives as they're on there now. Well, yeah, yeah. In, in fact, um, yeah, I, there was a 6-3 decision going back to 2008 when the Supreme Court upheld voter ID. And and that was uh, that was when, you know, it was generally a 5-4 conservative majority at that point, um, quasi-conservative majority at that time. But, yeah, uh, that, that was... Um, Voter ID uh, has been in place for a long time. Uh, since the early 2000s, there were uh, dire predictions then that it would be a throwback to the Jim Crow era that Democrats put forward. Uh, it wasn't. Uh, voter ID, and in most cases, there have been several studies that show uh, voter ID actually led to increases in voter turnout. We've seen the very same thing happen uh, in this case um, uh, with um, almost two dozen states that passed election integrity laws in 2021 um, that expanded voter ID to absentee ballots and put restraints on ballot harvesting, which is a, is a pretty corrupt practice of allowing political operatives to collect and distribute mass. Um, after those laws went into effect, you remember 
Stacey Abrams was out there talking, oh, yeah. talking about Jim Crow 2.0. Joe uh, Biden as well. Joe Biden. Yeah. Jim Eagle <laughs> in his case. But yeah. Uh, and and, and we, what we've seen this year is state after state after state, we've seen record turnout in primaries. And just more recently, we've seen record turnout in early voting. Uh, so um, none of this turns out to be true. Just yesterday, uh, uh, esteemed White House press secretary uh, said that, uh, well, just because you have higher voter turnout doesn't mean you don't have voters. <laughs> <laughs> which which almost sums up everything in my book, um, be, because there's abs- this has been a almost a religion for the left. Uh, I, well, I would say it was a religion, but I don't think it is, because I don't think they actually believe it. Uh, there, there's zero evidence of voter suppression in, in, in this modern era. Um, in the in the real Jim Crow era, there was actual voter suppression, of course. But uh, in this modern era, people, there's no evidence that of anyone who's legally allowed to vote, eligible to vote, that is being prevented from either voting or regis- being able to register to vote. Uh, there have been several lawsuits. Uh, they've generally lost all of those. And... Uh, but this is a myth, and it's a it's a great talking point that the left trots out for two reasons. Uh, when they lose an election, as for one, uh, and uh, also if they want to block a law from being passed, like a voter ID law. Those are the two reasons they talk about voter suppression. But they've gotten a lot of mileage out of it. But what and is the, the media what, usually never questions it? What is their what is their well? Of course, the media is on their side. But what is their motivation to make sure we don't have voter ID? I mean, have you, when you did your book, did you look at all about the number of times where uh, cheating is going on? Well, yeah, uh, yeah, that's a big part of the book too. Um, uh, there's uh, this, this few, uh, and, and and we've gotten that a lot from media coverage that in which they say that there's no systemic voting fraud going on. Well, there's uh, there's certainly not systemic voter suppression either, uh, even though the media likes to push that narrative. Uh, there are numerous, numerous cases of uh, elections being overturned, often at the local level, mayors, county um, races, and so forth. But uh, in, in North Carolina, you know that there was, there was a congressional race, which I write about in this book, The Myth of Voter Suppression. It was a Republican candidate. Right. But there was voter fraud involved in that case. That election was uh, voided, and they called a new election. Right. Um, so so there, there's plenty of evidence in which... Voter fraud uh, causes um, has been there have been convictions there have been overturned elections plenty of evidence there there has been no evidence of again no evidence of an eligible voter uh, who was legally allowed to vote being turned away from voting or being uh, prevented from registering to vote. You know it's interesting that they use the Jim Crow uh, talking point, but what a racist comment. When these liberals come out, these progressives come out and say, well, you're trying to suppress the black vote because a black individual might not have any kind of uh, ID that would be legal. What a racist comment. Yeah, well, it it really is. It really is. And and it gets into that, too. I mean, the the book just sort of um, goes into the the level of identity politics that the left has used throughout – Throughout this debate, and 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 it is entirely about it's entirely about winning elections. I mean, one aspect of this is I that there is an interwoven. Uh, the narrative today is that the right is concerned about voter fraud, the left is concerned about voter suppression. 
the, the two are really interwoven. Uh, if you have le- actual voter suppression, it's a form of fraud because you're skewing the election result. If you have fraud, then you're canceling out uh, someone else's legitimate vote. Uh, so voter fraud and voter suppression are really pretty much the same thing. Right. Uh, Good point. But I, I, I would also say that uh, the book, The Myth of Voter Suppression, gets into you. It's a democ- it's a Democratic Party tradition. You, you, it goes back to um, you had Tammany Hall, the big D machines that were run by Democrats uh, in the North. Uh, you had Jim Crow in the South. Uh, one was about usually voter fraud by the machines. Uh, Jim, the Jim Crow South was about uh, voter suppression. But they both had the same goal, which was skewing and changing election laws to uh, ensure Democrats win. You've seen some of the same thing today. Democrats uh, tried to push H.R. 1 and legislation like that through uh, that would completely change the law, uh, have a national ban on voter ID, expand ballot harvesting, all for the purpose of uh, making it easier for Democrats to win. Did you get in the book, did you get into at all the 2020 presidential election and some of the things yeah. that we saw in, well, down in Georgia for one? Yeah, yeah. There is a chapter uh, just it's titled The Uncomfortable Truths About the 2020 Election. Uh, it makes it, it doesn't draw, draw who won, uh, but uh, it does make it clear that this was not the most secure election. Uh, we've we've seen and and it looks at a lot of the findings, the official findings that have taken place since that election took place. Uh, and so I I think it has a fresher take on the 2020 election than some uh, some of the other uh, books that have been written about that race. We're talking to Fred Lucas of the Daily Signal. In your book, did you also, uh, or in your reporting since you've done the book, what is your feeling towards? shoring up the issues that happened in the 2020 election as we go into this 2022 midterm do you think there's steps have been taken to make sure that we have more secure elections than we did just two years ago i think we are better off than we were two years ago in the sense that um 2020 was a matter of democrats not wanting a crisis to go to waste uh a massive uh runaway mail-in voting uh, drop boxes, um, recruiting of billionaire oligarchs into uh, bankrolling election administration to get out to vote. So those are all things Democrats had wanted to do well before any American had ever heard of COVID-19. Right. Uh, and uh, this was just the grand opportunity. Uh, you look at people like Mark Elias and and the oh. DNC that that. that they, they leaped into this. They saw this as the opportunity, and they were, were not going to waste it, and it, uh, it did work out for them. Oh, yeah. Well, Mark Elias is well-known in North Carolina because he was the guy that came down here and got the State Board of Elections to change the rules after early voting had begun, which is just, mm, you know, right. unbelievable. Fred Lucas. Go ahead. I was going to add, yeah, uh, uh, Tessa, the uh, Senate candidate there, uh, he, he's involved in the uh, House Election Integrity Caucus, uh, and he, he was he was pushing investigations into this uh, executive order. I, I did uh, uh, some reporting on that a little bit earlier this year. Where is that committee going, or is that, that group going? Uh, it's, 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 it's a caucus, not okay. a committee, but okay. yeah, yeah, it is uh, – yeah, I mean, they've written letters to the White House. They've uh, sought information. Um, 
of course, that's pretty much already right now. That's pretty much a request. But if that changes, <laughs> well, if the if the federal courts can't get uh, the Department we'll of Justice to respond, the then I don't think yes. I don't think a request from the Republican well, Caucus is going to get much done. Right. So, Fred, uh, Fred Lucas, thanks so much for joining us. Interesting stuff. How can our folks get a copy of your book, The Myth of Voter Suppression, The Left's Assault on Clean Elections? Uh, yeah, just check out uh, Amazon or Barnes & Noble, wherever you like to buy books. All right. Fred Lucas, thanks for joining us. Look forward to talking to you again down the road. Thank you. Thanks so much. Stay with us. More news and views coming right up. Your 5 o'clock drive. The drive home should be a delight. This is Tom Lamprecht with more news and views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Happy birthday to the Hildebeast. She's 75 today. Looking every day of it. 141 years ago today, 19, I'm sorry, 1881, Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday faced the Clanton gang in the famous shootout, the OK Corral. Take a look at your weather forecast. Partly cloudy skies tonight, a low near 55. Tomorrow, some cloud and sunshine, a high of 69. Tomorrow night, a low of 50 with clear skies. Friday, partly cloudy skies during the morning, becoming overcast in the afternoon with a high of 67. Friday night, mostly cloudy with a low of around 55. Each year on my birthday, every American gets a cupcake. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I'm exhausted. From eating all those cupcakes, that's why you're exhausted. She, uh, she's uh, put some cupcakes down in her day. Uh, by the way, Joe made a speech today. What happened? Yeah, that's what everybody wants to know. Uh, you put your foot in your mouth. That's what happened. Come on, man. Conservatives on Twitter blasted Biden for touting the fact that his administration is looking to get rid of junk fee- fees that make roomier airline seats more expensive and unfair to people of color. So he was complaining about junk fees on airlines, you know, those fees where you got to pay for an extra to put your luggage in and that kind of stuff. The, uh, but he was saying that some of these airlines now, if you want a room in your seat, not necessarily first class, but you want more space, you can pay an up fee and have a room in your seat. And he was complaining. He said, look, folks, these are junk fees. They're unfair. They hit marginalized Americans the hardest especially low-income folks and people of color. Uh, He got blasted pretty well for that. So, I mean, again, (laughs) how many times? Just add that to the list of hundreds of comments this guy has made and gotten away with. I mean, if Trump would just have made one of these comments, he'd be shot down for life. Joe makes them every week, every day. Washington Examiner is reporting a woman who said she had a a decade-long relationship with Georgia GOP Senate hopeful Herschel Walker claimed today that the football star pressured her to get an abortion in 1993. Now, this is somebody else. He encouraged me to have an abortion and gave me the money to do so, the woman who said, who was only identified as Jane Doe in a Zoom call with reporters. 
She added, Herschel Walker is a hypocrite, not fit to be a U.S. senator. The accuser who met the football legend in the 1980s said the two continued an affair into the 1990s, had voice recordings, hotel receipts, and a handwritten poem in which he allegedly declared his love. Now, I dug into this. I didn't actually see any of this so-called evidence that she has. I don't know that any of the evidence has been released. I've not seen any empirical evidence, if this is true or not. But I do know this. Have you ever heard of Anita Hill? She was the gal that came in, and at the last second, when it became apparent that they couldn't have a public lynching of Clarence Thomas, they brought in what they thought would uh, really put him under the jail, drop him through the platform. Uh, Yeah. Anita Hill accusing Clarence Thomas. Or how about the accusations against Brett Kavanaugh as he was about to be cleared by the uh, United States Judiciary Committee? Or how about Donald Trump? I mean, how many women came and accused Donald Trump, Stormy Daniels, and others? Listen, I... Again, I have no empirical evidence whether these accusations are true or not, but this is right out of the crap playbook that the Democrats put out every year, every time something like this happens. You knew it was going to happen. So their October surprise very well could be this. They're just trying to hang on by by their fingernails to the U.S. Senate, which I don't think is going to happen. I said when Benny and I were writing things down, I said, I think they're going to take the U.S. Senate by more than five seats. I mean, a five-seat, they'll they'll pick up five seats. Listen, this woman would not even reveal herself. She was Jane Doe. And yet, Warlock's wife, who has come out, and there's video of her saying her husband does not pay child support. He won't take the kids when he's supposed to. He is running around. He was doing all he wants to do. He's abdicated his role as a husband and a father. And he attempted, why he did run over his wife with his car. Didn't kill her, but it didn't do her any good. She's come out and she's admitted this. I mean, she's come right out and said, yeah, I'm his wife. And this is what happened. Where's the mainstream media carrying that story? And here's the other question. Yeah, you you would guess it. Who represented this Jane Doe? was Gloria Allred. Here's the question. And if we had the answer to this, we might immediately know, oh, okay, we, we know who's pushing this narrative. Could we please find out who is paying Jane Doe's legal fees to Allred? I mean, now, I, granted, I realize, okay, we'll take the money and we'll give it to this person, this person will give it to that person, this person will give it to that person, and then somehow or another, it'll get to Allred. Could we please find out who cut the original check to pay for Gloria Allred? If we could find the answer to that, we'd know. Okay. Yeah, the DNC paid for it. Okay. There you go. I mean, it happens every time. I mean, you'd think they'd actually come up with a new October surprise. I mean, right on schedule. Yeah, no, again, I, do I have any empirical evidence that Herschel Walker is innocent? He said he's, he said it didn't happen. Do I, do I know he's not lying? No, I don't. 
But I do know that this is typical of the Democrats. They do this every time. They have no credibility. We got to take one last time out. Stay with us. I'll be right back. Back to news and views. Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Fox News has just released a story that Republican Senators Chuck Grassley and Ron Johnson are sharing with the U.S. attorney leading the criminal investigation into Hunter Biden more than 200 pages of bank records related to Hunter Biden's and the Biden family alleged connections to the Chinese regime and persons connected to its military and intelligence elements. Grassley and Johnson obtained the records from a U.S. bank in the course of their investigation into Hunter Biden's business dealings. The records reveal transactions between Hunter Biden-linked businesses, entities, business entities, I should say, and Chinese energy firm CEFC, which reportedly had ties to communist China, uh, the communist China CCP. Uh, as well, uh, just skimming through this, Grassley and Johnson's letter and production of bank records to Weiss, an appointee of former President Donald Trump, comes as the federal investigators are weighing whether to charge Hunter Biden with various tax and foreign lobbying violations, false statements, and more. Uh, this might be uh, this might be their own October surprise. Uh, the problem is, other than Fox News and uh, maybe News and Views and a few other radio stations, uh, you're not going to hear the story uh, that much. Uh, Grassley and Johnson outlined the timeline of Hunter Biden's business relationships with uh, the Communist Party dating back to December of 2015. Uh, we'll have more on this as the days go by, I'm sure. But um, it's uh, pretty obvious that the, the Biden crime family is up to their neck. It's more than just gun permits and tax evasion. We'll, we'll continue to follow this. Our thanks to uh, Fred Lucas. We'll do it again tomorrow. Play a little political trivia. We'll see you then. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.